Stay tuned next for Universal Perspectives with Chris Skyhark. One fine day when the land was young A young boy watched the wagons come Oxen teams on the westward hoe Into the land of the buffalo Eastern seaboards settled towns Wagon ruts in the prairie ground Canvas-covered wagon home Great expanse of the buffalo Sixty million strong Spirits chant and spirit song Flesh and breath and blood and bone Life for the people of the buffalo One fine day when the land was young a young man watched the railroads come Spitting steam on the westward pole Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Chris Skyhawk with Universal Perspectives. As many of you know, I've been doing a series as we try and, try and build what is after this late-stage capitalism that we're barely surviving here. And I will try and weave these two men together here and hopefully I'll coach and you for you. I'll do my best. Okay, good evening. Sure, uh, my work has actually um, morphed over the years. I've become more of what I would call a somatic therapist or somatic educator, um, depending on what somebody comes into my um, studio with or the classes that show up, the people that show up in my classes. Um, we hopefully begin to have a deeper understanding and awareness of the body's language. The body is always picking up information from the outside, from other people, from the environment, from our own internal mechanisms. And we want to get better at, at um, understanding that language so that we can move into life with more um, discernment and more empathy and um, a better sense of connection to the whole. So I, you must, people obviously probably come to you, lots of traumas must come up during this work because we all, as we know, trauma is stored inside the body. Mm -hmm. And of course, if there's trauma there, people can't connect to the earth very well, very easily. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how that work contributes to people understanding their place on mm -hmm. earth Mm -hmm. and their place in, in the great wheel of life? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, because it all is inter, inter, uh, intermingled, interconnected. And, you know, the, the more you can feel and have um, and open your awareness of what's happening in your body, the more you begin to understand on a visceral level the depth of connection that you have to other people, so that's the first thing is, is connection to self, then connection to other, and then connection to the earth or the cosmos or you know, the environment around you. Um, the more you 
understand how that process uh, happens, the more you understand um, how little differentiation or how porous we are actually, how, how deeply connected we are to the people and to the earth and how much it's influencing us as much as we are influencing it or other people. So, you know, it, it's, there's no, you know, that whole thing where, you know, no man's an island. Um, we, there's no such thing as, as, as being isolated. You can be isolated in your mind, but you cannot be isolated as human being on this planet. Uh-huh. And, and that, in, and I mean, for me, and what I talk about a lot is how much empathy that brings for and understanding, um, you know, of the atrocities that are happening or that have happened in the past. And, yeah. Let me ask, maybe this is almost the same question, but I, I, maybe a different way. How do you see your work as helping, helping build the new earth? Mm. Well, I, I, we've largely um, lost our connection to the earth as a, as a race, as a species, um, you know, through modernization and uh, scientific studies and technology advancement. Um, we've largely lost our connection. You know, we're living in cities and there's cement all around us and there's electricity all around us and there's noise and, and uh, you know, there's so many people that don't even, haven't even, you know, seen, they don't, they don't understand where their food comes from. You know what I mean? There's so many people in the world because they're just completely cut off. So through this process, we recreate, maybe is a good way to say that, we recreate and deepen the sense of connection to the planet. And, and in that way, we, um, it becomes so much more important to protect the, the, the environment and protect the planet and actually protect the people around us, you know. Mm. Okay, I'm going to switch over to Mike. Do you have it there, Mike? Yep. Hello, Mike. This is Mike Meese from the Buffalo Field Campaign. Um, Mike, I'll, I'll try and uh, give a very s little snapshot of what the Buffalo Field Campaign is about so you don't have to, okay? Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> well, as the song, as the song, our opening song said, there used to be, there was formerly tens of millions of buffalo roaming on our continent. And we're down to a handful of thousands now. And shockingly, appallingly, the small bits of wild, free-ranging buffalo that are still here are still being persecuted by government agencies who have been captured by private industry, including even the National Park Service at Yellowstone. And you can, we'll make sure you have the website. And Mike will say to will come here in next fall with the roadshow. So we'll have him visiting here. That's like the super nutshell, Mike. <laughs> I, I was just All trying right. to keep. I was just trying to keep it really close. So I wanted to just follow up on what James was saying. In your mind, in your heart, what do what do the buffalo have to teach us human beings, in terms of resilience and and how to survive? What have you learned from them? Well, I wasn't here in the beginning when um, they had killed. They being us, the the white conquerors. Um, had killed the animals down to what they believe was 23. And at first they sent out the U.S. Cavalry to stand guard so that poachers wouldn't kill them. And about a year and a half later, we established our first national park, which was Yellowstone, which 
ironically was originally earmarked as as a habitat for these last wild bison that we have and of course all its beautiful features and from 23 you know these animals have started to rebound on their own and efforts were made through conservation to bring in other herd or another purebred herd um, from Mickey Pablo and the Salish Kootenai and this guy named Allard down in Texas and so they've worried about the genetics and things like that but I mean the, the buffalo are pretty pretty strong individuals and, and don't give up um, they share the burden of survival and being a keystone species of the ecosystem they help a lot of other animals survive for instance right now we're entering into winter we have about two and a half feet of snow in the yard right now and you know deep into the park in the winter it can be five to six feet tall and they walk in a straight line facing into the storm and they'll pound a trail and when the lead buffalo he or she gets tired they step to the side and let the whole procession go by and then they jump in at the end where all the work has been done and so together united as a herd they share this burden of survival to make these paths to get through these thick winter snows to migrate where they need to go to get fresh, you know, grass that they can access. And after the buffalo have come through, we'll watch the elk use those same trails, the deer use the same trails. And so they create a, a pathway for the entire ecosystem to be able to be mobile during these winter months and not so vulnerable to the elements. Um, and a human aspect and what I think people can relate to a, a lot more is we're often taught that, that animals or, or be other beings on this planet are not as sophisticated as, as us and don't have feelings or emotions or sentiments. And I think anyone that has a dog or a cat can tell you that's BS from the get-go anyway. But the second thing, you know, like we, we see them get hunted or, or shot in the field. And when they first go down, the rest of the buffalo will gather around and put their horns underneath them and trying to lift them up. And then they realize they're past and every single one in the herd will come and they'll form a circle around their past brother or sister and have to have what what is as is a mourning or a sending off ceremony for their past brother and sister and you know just the gifts that these buffalo give to the earth i, I think we're finding out more and more <clears throat> that traditional native indigenous knowledge is is millenniums ahead of the science that we try and follow and one thing that the buffalo gave as a gift in this scientific study um, is that they rejuvenate the earth. They bring the soil content back to what it used to be before we overgrazed it, over agricultured it. And so they have the potential to be released out of the park to start to heal the earth again and, and help us in, in this crisis that I, I think all our youth are facing with much more terror than us old people. But um, the fact that we may not be able to inhabit the earth in 40 years, you know, and here's another natural solution to try and fix these things that we don't even open our eyes to. And so, you know, for the last 25 plus years, 
I've had the honor of spending an awful lot of time with these sacred animals and watch their behavior. And I will never tell you that I know anything about them because I continue to learn through observation and witness and, and being part of them, you know, being out there in the field with them through all, all their different facets of life, every, every portion of the year. And so, you know, just getting to watch them and how they treat each other, you know, if we started to understand the concept, you know, that the buffalo live by that everyone in the herd is just as important as each other. And the job of their leaders is to make sure that every single one in the herd survives. Because in the buffalo world, they're all equal. And and mm-hmm. when we can start to look at us humans in that facet and mm-hmm. get over what color our skin is, who you want to sleep with, what your beliefs are when we're going to die after we die, um, and share the common concept of what's best for our children's future, then, then we can get on track, then we can reconnect, then we can start to understand the worth of this planet, all the sacred gifts it gives us, all the other animals and, and beings that are on it that we share it with, and and start to recognize that everything on this planet has value, not just the humans. Mike, I'm really struck by what you're saying. I actually have a tear in my eye thinking about these buffalo trying to raise their injured or dead part, uh, companions. That's really touching. And... I want to weave it back over to James now. These buffalo behave exactly the opposite of how, how capitalism behaves. We're taught that we're individuals, we have to get ahead, survival of the fittest, all that kind of stuff. The buffalo are giving us a very different model here. And James, I, I really would like to weave you back in here with your thoughts on, on connecting ourselves back into a, a matrix, of a, a living matrix, not a competitive one where you have to squash your competition and that kind of thing yeah well <clears throat> thank you and and thank you mike that uh yeah it, it is it's a very touching narrative and and it's hard to think of where where we've been and where we've come what we've gotten to now and imagine the um the fullness of life where nature is allowed to flourish and you know it's the the and I relate it just to the work that I'm doing in that, you know, the the fullness of, of any person's life when we're allowed to live more in our natural state. You know, you spoke to, um, you know, we need to get over this, you know, what what your skin color is or who you want to sleep with, <laughs> what your, what your uh, uh, you know, afterlife beliefs are. Um, and by... I just relate it in this way. It's like the deeper that I come into my body and understand that nothing in my body happens by itself and my body is completely interconnected, intertwined. It's intertwingularity. There's a a new word out there. And um, that I have to have you know, for this body, for this person, James, to exist, I have to have everything around me. And, you know, um, the more that I understand how interconnected I am, the more 
that I'm going to want to see the people and the things and the planet and the environment around me flourish because I'll understand that that flourishing is my flourishing and my flourishing is the, the flourishing of them. So, you know, that's the, um, yeah, that's one of the, the, the deeper teachings in, in all of this is that I, not only can I not exist by myself, I just don't, you know. I can go put myself in a cave somewhere, but I'm still just intricately involved with and interconnected with the environment around me. It's, it's, it, it's part and parcel. I'm not a thing on top of the planet. I'm actually something that the planet birthed, you might say. You know, the, the earth peoples, like an apple tree apples. <laughs> and um, and w w it's uh, yes, yeah, it's just so important to um, for us to revitalize that connection in our minds because we are killing we are killing the place around us for sure. So, Mike, also I know that you work with a lot of First Nations people who have a high interest in seeing the buffalo be returned, and I wonder if you would talk to us a little bit about that. Those, those people are certainly shining examples of resilience, the native peoples of this continent. Would you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I'll start out with setting kind of a foundation of, of what I've had the honor of learning while working with or, and being guided by Native Americans. Um, number one, I started this organization with the traditional Lakota elder, Rosalie Little Thunder. And when we first started this group, she came to me and said something that I'll never forget, and it keeps me strong to this day, even though she now leads us from above, as she passed about eight years ago now. Um, and she said, Mike, I come from a tribe that calls itself Tatanko Oyate, and the closest that translates to your language is I come from the Buffalo Nation. And these animals that you feel so strongly to protect are not animals to me and my people. They're our relatives, and that's how sacred they are. Mm. And then, you know, I got the honor of learning different Native Americans' words for buffalo. And the one that really resonated with me was the Blackfeet called the buffalo Eniwa. And the closest that translates to our language is everything. Oh. So one, one animal meant everything to a whole nation of peoples. And, you know, to have that relationship, you know, and I think most earth-based religions all had that because that was how they survived. And, you know, it's like the relationship the wolves have with the elk, that they, they take care of each other in a sense. You know, a, a wolf herd keeps an elk herd healthy by taking out the sick, the old, the dying, the ill ones, and keeping keeping their herds healthy. And they have a relationship as we used to have. And yeah, the, the natives did take buffalo and but it was uh, they also gave back to the buffalo in in every sense that they would help do things that would make sure the grasses were there again, and they did control burns that would help the buffalo. They would do other things, you know, that would give back and, and make sure that the buffalo were always there so that future generations 
would would you know have that to rely on for their subsistence and of course when we came here with our kings or no we left the king to follow the church or something like that but at any rate we we forgot about these relationships and the importance and not being from this continent when we came here we had no idea how the ecosystems worked and we just saw this mass abundance everywhere and then we proceeded to take it all to to the problems that exist in today's world where they're you know, I'm, I'm always referred to as a radical eco-terrorist environmentalist, and really every issue I've ever worked on in my entire life, I'm trying to help save the last 1% of what's left on this continent. And I'm the radical terrorist for trying to put that for a little sacredness and keep it aside. So mm -hmm. I think our perspectives have been turned in, in many different directions. You know, for instance, <clears throat> we refer to what I call lifelong skills as primitive skills. And basically all primitive skills are, are skills that teach you how to do things yourself so you're not so reliant on this capitalist system to provide us everything and we can actually do things for ourselves. And so, you know, this disconnect of what works and what had worked from time immemorial, you know, doesn't even fit today's world. We're too busy looking at our damn cell phones or on our McMe page telling everyone what we had for lunch or where we went to the bathroom the latest and not focusing on, you know, things that really do matter, things that make this planet function. And, you know, a lot of places we are really disconnected, like um, James just mentioned, you know, that we were in the concrete jungle, but underneath that concrete and outside in the parks, nature. Did we lose him? Okay, yeah, um, we apparently lost Mike just for a moment, so we'll get back to him. Richard, we'll get him back. So let's talk back to James, who's in the studio here. James, what's your impression of the things that Mike just said to us? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, at one point, we were all first people, you know, different times and, um, you know, throughout history, and every... The church was hell on the pagans <laughs> back in Europe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That I mean, that's one example. I mean, the the Romans, you know, devastated communities, and when the Mongols came through, they devastated communities. I mean, it's happened all over the world. So, in a you know, in our history as humans, and if we think about something like epigenetics, and um, we've all been torn away from the lifestyles like Mike was talking about where we understood that interconnectedness where there was there was an understanding that our survival was dependent on the survival of even our food you know so the buffalo was used as food as tools as shelters all different kinds of things but the the understanding that the survival of the 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 first peoples was dependent on the survival of of the of the buffalo so they weren't looked at as an enemy they were looked at as brothers friends ancestors everything i love that piece you know and um if you look at 
indigenous cultures all over the world, they all had, or we've all had that kind of connection with our environments, you know, and, um, you know, with technology, the growth of technology and things like that, yes, we've been able to um, survive even as we separate our hearts and minds from that it, that connectedness. But the thing about it is, is um, our deep inner yearning, our body, our body knows how interconnected we are and how important it is. And, you know, and, and there's a, there's a, you know, if you want to talk about pandemics, you know, there's just a pandemic of separation and grief. You know, people are on a sub subconscious level lamenting this separation and it causes a lot of aggressive and passive aggressive and, uh, you know, behaviors against our fellow man's against the planet against the you know against uh, whomever anything that's looked at is differently so yeah that that loss of that connection leaves space for othering othering the planet othering other people and making enemies of things mike do we have you back i believe so yes i hear you i wanted <laughs> i wanted to uh do a follow-up <laughs> with you the um, the amazing impact that buffalo have on the well-being of uh, of the prairie, offhand I think by buffalo owls and and the water storage. Maybe you could talk to our listeners about the impact that buffalo have on the ecosystem. Well, I mean, you know, unfortunately, we're we're analyzing everything in a rancher's perspective. Um, I often will hear many livestock people tell me Yellowstone National Park is overgrazed or it's overpopulated. And, you know, they, they have no authority on that. But I work a lot with Chris Jeremiah, who's the bison biologist in the park. And, you know, what, what the buffalo do is they groom their ecosystem to keep it as most nutritious as possible and this particular type of grass that they really like in specific areas they come and they like mow it and then they'll go away to another spot and then they'll come back and eat it before it gets really long again because in that short growth process is when the most nutrients come about and, you know, cattle, basically, they're put in pens and they'll eat every bit blade of grass in front of them. And then they'll take a step, eat every blade of grass, then take another step. And then, unfortunately, they're not from here. And so their hoofs are completely flat. And so when they walk on the soil, they compact the soil. Whereas the buffalo... I'll see the same group of buffalo come through an area every year and they don't stay in overgraze, but they come through, they plant it. And as they come through, they'll eat the grasses and spill the seeds. Their hooks are cleft or broken in the middle. And so when they walk, they replant the seeds and till the soil. Then, of course, you have the magic fertilizer coming out the back end, and you have a perfect regeneration process. And year after year, they'll come to the same areas, 
and just come through to replant and re-fertilize that soil. And, you know, they have the potential to to change, you know, you think of the history of this planet, our, our continent on, in North America, and we hear the stories of the, the grasslands of the West with 14-foot-tall grasses that grew mm. annually. Well, they were 100% dependent on the bison migration, a million buffalo walking through there, trampling that down, eating the seeds, replanting it, and then leaving and next year they'd come back again to the 14 foot tall beautiful grasslands that used to exist right on the edge of our prairies and so you know the gift is still unknown because we've had them locked in yellowstone and unable to leave because of the livestock industry of the state of montana and um, basically the other herds that are out are behind fences and, and don't have the ability to cure injured land. And so that's why we fight, fight so hard to get them listed as an endangered species to recognize the importance of this, uh, ironically, animal we call our national mammal, the, the Yellowstone buffalo herd. And so... As we work and as we learn and as we watch, these beautiful animals teach us that nature inherently has the solutions mm -hmm. to the problems we humans have created. Hmm. I'm endlessly, and, and endlessly fascinated about the buffalo wallows. Can you talk to the listeners about that? Buffalo wallows are pretty unique. They um, come and they'll roll in the, in the dust and it gets off all kinds of things off their body and then they turn into pools when it rains and different um, enzymes grow out of them and and they become their own little tiny ecosystems and as you walk through Yellowstone Park you'll see areas that the buffalo have loved to wallow in for for who knows how long right and so they they leave little landmarks on the land that in turn create their own little tiny ecosystems so mike i'm curious as to how you see your own personal evolution in terms of the culture you left and the culture that you are a part of creating now well, I mean, in the in my younger days, I definitely was what I would call an action junkie, and I would go around <laughs> all around the world and be involved in a lot of direct action and, and got to learn a bunch of different campaigns and learned, you know, the things that tear us apart and the things that, you know, make us not want to be able to work together and so when we started this campaign I, I had the knowledge of working for over 20 different nonprofits and seeing how they worked and you know to me it's like we have to act like the the creatures we're protecting if we don't treat each other right in our own rooms how do we have the right to go out and try and protect these animals that all they do is take care of one another um I've learned throughout, you know, not to, to to take my time to pick my battles because when you let someone get you mad, you're giving them your energy. Like to be mad and angry takes our energy away. To be happy and goofy and smile 
rejuvenate your energy so i'm pretty much a goofball 90 percent of the time so because <laughs> i believe humor is the best best soothing for our souls and and to make everyone understand that i may have started this organization <clears throat> but i'm looking to you for the new idea of how we get out of this how we win it how we change it empowering people to know that they're just as important as me and anyone that sits in our circle is just as important and we all work together as a team you know the more heads you have working together on an idea the better the ideas you're going to come up with are if you you're just stuck on one person telling everyone how to do everything i think we fall under this colonial dictatorship kind of mentality and and to me it's more important to empower people let them know that they can make change you know and throughout the years we've had 6500 volunteers come here and be part of our field operations and a lot of those people have gone away and started their own nonprofits and told me, you know, that we learned how to do that by going to visit you. And so if nothing else, I'm obviously a little bit hooked on Buffalo, but I empower people to find their own passion and to pursue it because we are the people that are going to create the change. If we really think our government's going to do something good, you know, why haven't they? They've had every opportunity forever. Right. And they're and they're still, the only things they ever can agree upon is pay raises for themselves and better health care service for themselves. But they never do anything for the people. And the people got to take this back. I, I, I just saw in our latest election, we had a young man, 25 years old, who was involved with some of the Parkland shooting, is now the youngest congressperson in the United States. And that's what we got to do. We watch how people are going to our schools and taking over the school boards and you know that's we can do that too and we need to do that we if we're mm -hmm. we're going to live under this democratic society mm -hmm. if we're allowed to keep it then we ought to utilize it we ought to run candidates that aren't 80 years old and out of touch with the reality of everybody else in the world and get some young people in there that care because it's their future that's going to be impacted and all these old dinosaur white men that made all these stupid decisions are going to be long gone and all these poor youth and, and our upcoming generations are the ones that are going to suffer the consequence of this ignorant behavior Mike, I'm going to bounce that same question over to James. James, how do you, in your own personal evolution, you, you are obviously part of Craig and the, the New Earth also. Mm -hmm. How do you see, what was the breaking point for you in terms of leaving the old world behind and starting to work to create the new one? <laughs> how long is this show <laughs> how personal do we want to get yeah um you know um <laughs> obviously a huge question it's a big i'm question. sure you write a book someday <laughs> working on it um you know it, i would say that probably the first thing that happened was um back in my late 20s and i you know i um got a divorce and what that did to me, because I was doing all the things you're supposed to do, right? I owned a house, had my own business. All my friends were young, upperly mobile professionals. And, you know, there was uh, uh, kids in private schools, whole nine yards. 
And when that divorce happened, it just pulled the rug out from under me, you know, because that all of that beautiful stuff was built on, you know, very shaky ground. Um, a couple of uh, young people that had come from fairly uh, uh, traumatized backgrounds, we'll just say that, you know. So what that did is it made me sit down and begin to look at where I've been conditioned as a man, where I've been conditioned as a citizen, where I've been conditioned as um, <clears throat> just a human being, you know, and the, the way we connect, you know, I love this conversation, the way we connect to the planet, the way we connect to other people. You know, that whole bit, you know, it's all about me, 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 and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make a million dollars, and I'm going to sell, and yada, yada, yada. Well, it's taken a long time to continue to learn how to actually work in collaboration with other people. Everything that we're faced with in our culture right now is saying, don't do that. You know, whether you think it's a, you know, a, a, a focused conspiracy from some higher ups that just are trying to rip us apart all the time. I think there's some of that that's happening, but the other side of it is that, um, you know, the independent spirit, you know, the American independent spirit and, and um, really how much BS that really is because um, it just continues to drive a wedge between you and me and between us and the planet and um, between uh, our country and other countries and, you know, this this uh, race and that race and these genders and, and um, you know, this, this, uh, this false sense of I can do this all by myself and also the um the false sense of security that we think we're you know that that the security that we think we're going to get when we gather a bunch of stuff together you know so um you know I don't fault anybody for wanting to have a, a decent life and a and a and a good place to live and food in their belly but um it's how we go about getting it. You know, the, the Buddhists talk about right livelihood and, you know, a variety of other things that are, they think are really important, but, um, and, um, recognizing, you know, and that's where I would say like that, 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 uh, that event for me made me recognize that I could not do this by myself, you know, and that it's been this long trajectory trying to figure out how to reinsert myself back into life and humanity um, after all the conditioning of childhood and religion and just our social system, you know. Wow. <clears throat> So yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer in that we have to do this together. Um, and we've, in many ways, sort of lost touch with the tools that help us to do that. So when we look to nature, like in this case, the buffalo, and how they work with the land, and how they work with each other, um, we have right there these perfect examples of how we actually are in our innate being, but that we've lost touch with. So I feel like the work that I do personally and on myself and then with other people is to bring us back to that place, to our, that authentic being. 
I was also wondering how you think <clears throat> Micah was talk- talking a moment ago about how anger can also be dis- disempowering you if we're mm-hmm. too attached to that. I- obviously, we sometimes need it. Why, mm-hmm. Like in your work, if somebody comes in and they've been traumatized or abused by somebody, the anger is a part of that, obviously. I'm curious how you see the appropriate relationship we need mm-hmm. to have with our mm-hmm. anger. Obviously, mm-hmm. we need anger as motivation sometimes to get us going on a healing path. Mm-hmm. But it can also, like Mike was saying, if you get too attached to anger, that's being another kind of junkie in a way. <laughs> well, right. I mean, there's a couple of things there. One is that if you've repressed or suppressed your anger from some kind of a traumatic event, um, then you, you're cutting yourself off from your feelings, from your emotional state, from your real true self, your capacity to actually move in this world and make decisions with discernment if you've done it that way. Um, the other side of it is if, um, you're controlled by your anger and it's just, and it's something that is, um, it's a, you know, you, you become reactionary, then that's just another way of, of, um, yeah, disempowering it, 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 it takes you away. You know, the, the old, uh, the old Zen, um, story about the, the warrior that goes to the monk and he wants to know, you know, how to how to be a better person, how to be better in control. And the monk, po- yeah, I can't remember the story exactly, but the monk pokes some fun at him and, and the, the warrior draws his sword and he goes, that's hell. And the warrior goes, oh, <laughs> I get it. My <laughs> anger <laughs> controlled me. But then when you look into other, you know, other traditions, like for instance, you know, I, I can't quote the Bhagavad Gita either, but I know the st- part of the story is about being able to take appropriate action which might look violent from the outside, but when you have to stop something or somebody from hurting themselves and other people, sometimes that's what it looks like. But when you're doing that from a place of discernment and you could say love, that's a whole different thing than just coming at somebody and attacking out of, a, out of um, anger. So, yeah, we, we definitely need that passion. We need that aggressiveness. We need that strength. But we need, we need to be in control of that. And I just, I think, when you go back into that, you know, the more connected we are with ourselves and with other people, the more likely we're going to be able to actually do that because the less we're seeing other people as separate from us, we see them as part of us. And, you know, then, you know, we, you, you don't necessarily want to hurt a part of you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking, we, we have about five more minutes. So, uh, Mike, I want to give you the opportunity to, to give, a, give a few minutes of closing statement. And, of course, tell people about the website where they get more information on Buffalo Field Campaign. Have I got an opportunity for you? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been sitting around the dreary, (laughs) rainy winter of California's coast? Wouldn't you like to see some big fluffy snowflakes instead? (laughs) Well, guess what? We're accepting volunteers. We have Buffalo outside of the park, and we're in full swing. And from November until the end of May, we um, would love to have anyone come out here and be part of our team out in the field with the Buffalo. We're out on skis now um, with the snow, and we'll teach you how. 
Um, we cater to a vegan diet, but we also have locally harvested wild game and fish from our rivers and streams. We do not support factory farms here. And we live together in a communal big cabin and um, live and work together to go out and save the buffalo. And all this information is up on our website, just buffalofieldcampaign.org. And um, anyway, you know, if you just are curious about the issue, there's a plethora of information on our website. And, you know, as I like to say, people still don't even know about this anymore. So if you could at least, as I like to say, spread the word to save the herd and tell a few friends about this issue. But, you know, the, the biggest important part of today's world <clears throat> is people finding their own passion and pursuing it to create change. Um, we have to be the change that we want to see in this world today. We can't wait around and expect these politicians to make things right. And so let's get involved. Let's let's create the change. Find your passion and follow it. And don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do anything because you can do anything you put your mind to. And I'm living proof of it. I'm nobody special, and I've had the honor of helping start this organization. But it's everybody that's come here that's made it what it is. So go out and create this change, and, and we can be proud of what we leave for our children. I will um, I will follow up. I, I will visit you guys. It was 2002 was last time I was there. And I can test yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful place. You can't believe it. And uh, so, yeah, you go there, you'll meet some great people, you'll see beautiful scenery, and do some really incredible things. I was, I was there in the summertime, I was outside scraping Elkai with a couple other guys. That's <laughs> all my time I'll ever got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, I'm going to let James have some closing comments, too. I really, oh, Perfect. What's, what's the name hey, of the website? The Buffalo me or James? You, James, you, Mike. Buffalofieldcampaign.org. Yes, there's a clearinghouse inf information there for you. I really, really encourage our listeners to go there and support Mike and all the other people doing just absolutely amazing work for this planet. Mike, thanks for being with us tonight. Hey, thank you, Chris, and thanks, James. It was an honor to listen to you as well. You too, Mike. Thank you for what you're doing. Hope to get out there sometime. We have an open okay. invitation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, my friend James, uh, James Hummicky, give us uh, any closing thoughts you might have here. Um, man, it feels like uh, everything's pretty much been said. You know, the the I the um, I'm really I really love the example that Mike is bringing in about again. You know, like how the buffalo and um help the environment and how the you know and and how important um they are to the regeneration of the land and and uh and um yeah just bringing more consciousness to that and what it makes me think of is how are we important to the land? You know, where have we cut ourselves off from, you know, from the gifts that we can give back 
to the to the earth as much as it's given to us you know it's a how is that symbiotic relationship gotten um gotten way off track you know so i would i that's that i i just would personally continue to work in that direction myself and then um hopefully see other people james we're almost well. up to eight yes. o'clock here i'm gonna have to uh, Rich, I emailed you a song. Today is the anniversary of the death of John Trudell. And I'm going to go out with a song from John Trudell here. Thank you so much for being with us here tonight on KZUX. Really appreciate y'all. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>